Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Yeah, so on my podcast, you know, I try to focus being an, an, an optimist and somebody who, you know, Gary's Gulch being the, the title of the podcast, I want, to, I want people to focus on creating their own success and seeking inward for their security, for their self-worth and for their guidance, you know, and continue to do self-improvement so that you can, you know, continue to move to a higher level. But I want to surround myself with people and teach people how to set up all aspects of their lives so they're not beholden to somebody else, that they're not worried somebody else is going to take something away from them and they can focus clearly what their goals are and, you know, just gain the happiness or gather, get the happiness from inside, not from outside. Well, I don't think you get it. I don't even, I don't know. It's interesting. That's an interesting thought, right? Because I think you're, you're on to something that a lot of people try to figure out by going to the outside, right? Whether it's, you know, business success or investment success or more money. And, you know, I don't know about you, but in my experience with myself and with people, I mean, you get to those moments that you thought were going to like be existential and it's like, oh, okay, that's it. You know? And so I look at, you know, for me, I'm curious about myself because I don't think I'm I mean, I, I think there's a huge part of me that's like other people. I think a little bit of me is kind of crazy, but I'm always curious about why I do what I do, why I think what I think, why am I compelled to do this, compelled to do that? And I'm curious about the experience of others and what they're trying to get as well. Because I've made the connection, and I'm not sure when it was, and, and I, I have to continue to make the connection, but it's this, the, the best for me is, comes from providing the best to others, right? So for instance, like my kids, right? I mean, talk about altruism right? In, you know, as you kind of define raising kids, right? But you put a, a lot of money into it. You, there's lots of resources given. And seriously, it's like a smile, a small achievement. I mean, it's worth every everything, right? And so I look at just how easy it is for me to experience success by just having a conversation with my kids. And so, I, so it's made me realize that there are, it's more simple than people realize to get what they want. Uh, and, and two, it's this never-ending uh, pursuit. doesn't end, right? It's not like you accomplish or achieve a milestone and suddenly that's it, right? It's this constant, you know, constant improvement, constant growth. 
And I don't think it ever ends, frank, frankly. And I don't think the material world, the outside world will ever conform right, to exactly what you want if that's the condition that you require in order for you to be happy or fulfilled. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. So you said a few pretty interesting things there. I certainly agree that the outside world is never going to conform to the perfect result of what you're looking for. And that's a pursuit that I think is guaranteed to bring sadness. If Again, if you're looking for validation for your self-worth on the outside, but I do agree, and you made a great point, that most of us act, and we talked, we've talked about this before, and I think you have an amazing perspective on this, so hopefully we go down into it a little bit. But I've struggled with this idea of individualism and Ayn Rand and being uh, selfish, like uniquely selfish, right? But, but you have a good point and, and makes some good points that, you know, the actions we take for in doing charity for others and helping other people and helping our children succeed is absolutely a selfish act, even though we've been led to believe that being selfish is bad. But if you act in your own best interest, you're showing your absolute best to other people and you're adding the most value to other people. Yeah. And that I look at it as, you know, because I think there's a way in which you can frame selfishness as a bad thing and a way you can frame it as a good thing. And so I look at, you know, there's a cool book called Power Versus Force that I've read a couple of times by David R. Hawkins. And, you know, he, he passed away a number of years ago, but something that really resonated with me is that there is, there's this force energy that's out there. And it really comes down to, essentially uh, taking more than you give, right? And I think selfishness that comes from that mentality where it's a net zero, meaning you take more than you ever contribute, it doesn't lead to anywhere great. And most people, like I would say, can, can judge for as selfishness is concerned in that arena. But then there's a, it crosses a line at some point. And the line starts when you produce more than you consume. You contribute mm. more than you take. And you're always going to take, period. But I think if you're contributing, right, if you're serving, if you're giving, if you're influencing, if you're improving others, of course, it's incredibly gratifying, way more gratifying than when it's a net zero or net negative, right? It's way more gratifying. Uh, and that gratification is like, that's you, that's you experiencing it, right? And I, and I think that you know, there's that line that some people cross, but I go to Ma, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs where people are naturally driven for their own survival, right? Their own experience. It starts with physiological needs, then it goes to safety needs, then it goes to relationship needs, which are their needs, then it goes to self-esteem and ego needs, people recognizing their worth and value in the world, which sometimes they need to be a little bit egotistical or, or selfish to, to discover like, wow, I'm special, I'm unique, I can contribute something. But then I think it crosses into that self-actualization arena, right? Where suddenly it's not about you. It's not about the self or the ego, right? It's about what's right. It's about what's good. And that's where a lot of the fulfillment of life comes from when you get there. At the same time, it's kind of like you have to go through those other stages first, if that makes sense. You can't just like skip right to, you know, self-actualization and, and you know, <laughs> enlightened self-interest. You have to grow up through them, right? There's no so. shortcut. Yeah, that's a great point. As you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, selfishness, if you have a, you know, I thought back to the awesome book about growth mindset. It was uh, Carol Dweck. Dweck, yeah, thank you. And it's an amazing book. And, and I related it to this, thinking that 
Selfishness from a scarcity mindset. If your mindset is wired to be scarce, then your version of selfishness is if he gets that, I don't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. If that person gets to speak, I don't get to speak, you know. But if you're using selfishness from what I think I now understand Ayn Rand and others in her culture believed was that it's from a perspective of abundance. So if you give more, you get more, right? And it's okay to be selfish in that perspective. Like I want to, I don't know, an example of I want to travel the world, right? Well, if you help enough people on all corners of the world, there's no corners, but all around the globe, you can do that. Right. And so your your selfish motivation, if it's coming from a perspective of abundance, can yeah, be very helpful to everyone. Rand, like she's way smarter than I ever was. And all of her, <laughs> like she had some incredibly intellectual people that surrounded her. So by no means am I gonna ever try to like, you know, put mm-hmm. words in her mouth or or try to describe what she means. But what it means to me, where I think she was coming from, is this place where altruism is where there's force and coercion, right? Where people are forced to give up are coerced where it's negative, right? There's a force. There's not a voluntary act. And I believe when there's a voluntary act to produce and to serve and to give, that's when you have a net positive, not when you're forced to do it. And I think that's, I think that's what she meant. At least that's how I've come mm-hmm. to interpret it in a, in a simpleton's way. So as we talk about like, you know, there's a little bit of current events here, right? So right now we're talking about, we're talking of this one week after the general election and probably several weeks before this thing is really called. And, you know, for one, as a person who loves the the Republic, I'm really quite inspired by the fact that we're, that we're going to, that our judicial system is going to allow this to play out whichever way it goes, right? But I think we're in, in trouble if we don't we don't allow it to play out and, and gain the confidence, but that that's kind of on the U.S. Republic side of things. What I wanted to talk about is that some of the people who are, are there's so much passion, so much hate, right? And I think I believe that people get in that situation when they are in a position of fear. They're afraid that the other, the outside entity that has been providing for them, whether that's food, shelter, clothing, or its sense of worth, or it's something, you know. So, kind of going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I believe, I've, I feel like I've experienced that people who ha- are confident, they have self-confidence that they can provide for themselves. Like if they want something different, they just go get it or they figure out how to get it. I think that's different than being in a complete state of fear when you believe that you would be provided for by somebody else and now that's in question. Yeah, it's one of those, it's been an interesting observation, right? Of just how, how this most recent election right? Has, well, this year in general, right? 2020, (laughs) right? It's the, it's the year where there's a lot of stirred up emotions and and energy that is just kind of chaotic in a sense. And I think that what amplifies it is social media. What I would say is, you know, first you look at, there's two dominant fears that people have, right? Number one, they don't want to change. And number two, they don't want to be wrong. And, and that's seen everywhere. And so you try to speak rationally to somebody and it even one hint of them having to change or them being wrong and you being right, it just, it ignites a bonfire, right? So I look at, you know, our ability to have rational conversations and it's it's seldom when you have two differing points of view, they're able to come together, have a rational argument, a civil argument and go their separate ways, right? Without begrudging one another. And I look at that type of person, that's kind of the self-actualized person, right? Where they're not defined by somebody else, 
right? Or they're not defined by the opposite of what somebody else believes, right? They're defined based on their own internal sense of worth, fulfillment, identification. And that doesn't come, that doesn't come easily. So I, I look at, you know, our, the environment that we're in right now, and it's very ego and self selfish driven. It's in that, like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs again, right? It's in the self-esteem where people want to be validated. People want to feel good. They want to be a part of a group, right? And that's what motivates them. And it's hard to, to really get them to, to figure out a different way, right? So I'm not going to go down that necessarily that path, but at the same time, I think we all get caught up in it and families, our close relationships are impacted by it. And by no means am I saying that I'm this like enlightened, like I'm not affected by what people say or do. That's not, I mean, I try to be in there as much as possible, but it's, you know, the moments are few and far between. I am impacted at the same time. I try to catch myself, right. And be able to rationally think through it and also have a discussion, right. Rather than have banter back and forth. And so I'll give you an example with my, my brother-in-law. So my, my, uh, my wife's, uh, Cynthia is from Mexico originally. And so I was talking to her brother the other day and he was very upset that he felt judged and racially biased. And we just had an interesting, again, I let him talk, right. I let that emotion come out. Uh, and then I asked permission to, would you mind if I, you know, just give a different perspective? Uh, I said, you know, what if that guy that did this or said this, like, what if his like wife died? that morning? Or what if his child died in a car accident? Or what if, you know, he had been fired from his, from his job, right? Would you have a different opinion about what he said or what he did to you? And he's like, oh yeah. And I also, I also asked, I said, you know, what is, what is racism as you boil it down? Like what, what is it? And we both agreed that it was judgment. I said, isn't judging him that he's a racist, the same thing as him judging or him judging you as being Mexican? (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, it was a good conversation, but what yeah. it took was you can't just attack and attack and banter back and forth, right? You, you really have to step back and try to find common ground so that emotions are tempered. And that's when you can have, you know, a, an enlight- more enlightening conversation, even if, the, even if emotion does exist at a high level to begin with. And I believe that's possible for human beings. At the same time, one person, I think, has to understand the tenets of a meaningful conversation and essentially direct, you know, direct the debate, direct the conversation in that arena. And it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, believe me. But if we had more of that, I think it'd be in a different, a different state. But yet most people are, are very uh, compelled, they're affected, they're triggered, right? Based on a lot of political opinion one way or the other. And it's, uh, it's sad sometimes. Yeah, it is. And you know, there's a, there's a quote out there that I, I have no doubt I will get wrong or not even get close, but essentially if you want to understand another person's perspective or, you know, first walk a mile in their moccasins, right? You know, I'm sure I've thrown two or three of them together there, <laughs> but it's, well, you and I both have, you know, good friends and have spent a lot of time around Robert Kiyosaki. And I don't think he invented this, but he talks about, you know, two sides of a coin and then the edge. And he's talking about it from a perspective of a, of a sophisticated investor where you can see kind of both perspectives and make your own decision. I found myself recently blown away and I found it really interesting, also somewhat stressful, that people that are very dear friends of mine have gotten caught up in the emotion and I probably have too. And I just can't fathom what I'm missing, right? So it's, it's been quite interesting to go and, and read news articles and and things that I don't normally read because I'm trying to figure out, I deeply care for this person. 
So I'm trying to walk that out, you know, and it has been quite uh, enlightening and not easy to do, but. Well, there's a twist to that saying, which I think is interesting as well. Might even be the right uh, one. Saying about, <laughs> you know, if you want to understand a person's, you know, view of life, try to walk a, a thousand mile or try to walk a mile in their shoes or something. Yeah. I think it was like Roy Rogers or someone said, you know, if, if you try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you'll find yourself a mile away in somebody else's shoes. <laughs> right. Cause I think, you know, at the same time we want to do that and it's not to understand where they're coming from, but it's more to have empathy because, yeah. you know, there's so many different events that mold a person's psyche, how they derive meaning from life, their opinions of this, that, or the other. Right. And we all have that unique aspect of, of our lives. Right. And, and most of those experiences come when we're, when we're younger and mold and just get reinforced when we're adults. So it's hard, right. To really see how a person views things, but I think empathy, right. And just valuing somebody else's life and their emotions and their opinion is a good place to good place to start. But at the same time, again, I go back to those primary fears, right. When you're yeah. afraid of something and you have a lot more experience right? In fear, as you have been in certain positions in your life that are life and death situations, right? I haven't been in those, but fear, you can be conditioned to approach fear a certain way, right? Where fear is something that you anticipate and know how to show up in, or fear can be, you know, a trigger and completely out of the blue. And typically your, in your natural response is fight or flight, right? That this year we had an earthquake here. I was like sitting in that chair over there the whole freaking building was like shaking. And I was like, uh, I mean, I was by myself and like, oh, that fight or flight mentality. Holy crap. Like it's yeah. totally real. Right. And I, and there's degrees yeah. of it. Okay. But it's one of those things where if you're not conditioned, right. If I lived in California my entire life and felt earthquakes every three days, right. It would have been a different response because it would have been conditioned, but it wasn't right. It was the first time I've ever experienced and I didn't know how to react right? It was my mm -hmm. body that took over. So my point in that is that as people look at, you know, whether it's a political opinion or a current event or something that happens that disagrees with their blueprint of life or what they define as, as right or right or wrong, good or bad, right? They don't want to be wrong. It's an unnatural thing. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be proven wrong. We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to look inferior. And when somebody tries to prove us wrong or alludes that we're wrong, it's like that same fight or flight mentality. Yeah. Right. So that's where I look at, again, it's conditioning, right? It's recognizing that it's being aware of it first and recognizing that your opinion is your opinion and others have their opinions and you know, others shouldn't define what you think about yourself and what you think about life. And it shouldn't impact you the way that it typically does. If there's no conditioning, if that, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, I was thinking also when you were talking about that, where I, where I thought you might go is, you know, fear. So fear really in my, to boil down what I think of fear, fear is when you're in this position and you don't, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's instinctual and it's been, it's been vital for human survival, all survival of all animals, but it's really this, I think if you distill it down again, it, it is you not believing that you can control the outcome, right? Like you don't, you're out of control, which is causing the fear. And I think as we, as we work on ourselves, as we build the confidence and let's take this financially, right? I, I just saw, I have no idea if this is true or not, but I saw this, you know, thing that said for CNN that those who back Trump, what was this like? Uh, you, you must, you need to think about what impact that has on your ability to get employment from a future employer who knew that you backed Trump, you know? So it was just, it was bizarre. It may have been totally made up. But my point in using this example is that 
a lot of people kind of freaked out on the comments below that because there was fear there, right? Like they didn't have control. So just thinking about it from the financial side, if we can help others and we can help ourselves, you know, first put our own house in order and set up your life so that you do have control, right? Like you are not um, susceptible to others. And what I've learned in, the, in meeting with hundreds of clients since March, Patrick, and, and I think the other members of our team have learned the same thing, that those that are calm, those that understand, and those that are asking questions, like, I wonder if good opportunities in investing will be a result of this, right? As opposed to those that are like, oh my gosh, what if none of my tenants pay? And what if I don't have my job, right? I mean, those are real fears. But the difference has been that the people have been able to set up their own lives in a way in which they have confidence, a lot of money sitting on the sideline, um, their own business, things like that, right? Something in designing a business and in, in a resilient industry. So things like that help them have confidence and stay away from fear. Taking a break from the show, I want you to know about a course I created for successful real estate investors that I'm making available to my podcast audience for free. You guys know that stupid business and real estate investment decisions almost cost me everything in 2009 and 2010. And since then, it's been my mission to teach you listeners the invaluable lessons I learned during this strenuous time so you don't have to experience those same lessons. Perpetual Wealth Real Estate is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy I use personally with all of my real estate investments to ensure a profitable transaction and maximize the overall return. The Perpetual Wealth Real Estate course is my gift to you. Register today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash ROI. Again, the URL is thewealthstandard.com forward slash ROI, Romeo Oscar Indigo. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that you can do to reinforce the different areas of life that you have anxiety about. At the same time, I wouldn't call those absolute measurements, right? Where you set it up and it's absolutely going to work and help. Right? I think in the end, you know, the Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, right? Is it just a profound book because it shows that, you know, in the, in the face of death, you know, a, a man can either give up and concede, right? But it's not forced. He has to be the one that makes that decision, right? Or you can have someone say that, like, that's the, that's the last of my freedom, freedoms to choose how I feel regardless of what happens. And he says, you know, that famous quote that in that response is growth and freedom. And I love that because of the circumstances that he was in. If this was some like, you know, rich kid, you know, trust fund baby that says it, it's kind of like, eh, but given the circumstances of this person's life, right? Being able to say something as profound as that really helps to understand our experience of life, right? Where we have this reinforcement of cash, we have cash flow, we have investments, we have financial education, we make good decisions in business. You know, we would hope and we do hope, and that's where I think people get hooked on hopium, right? Is that <laughs> if you have all of those things, suddenly you're going to have a fulfilling life. And that's just not true. And so how I've learned, you know, to look for myself because I want what most other people want. I want a happy life. I want meaningful relationships. I want to have amazing experiences. And I think we live in a world and a society where, holy crap, we just live in abundance and in amazing times, right? And 
when I look around me and I'm like, wow, I don't have to like ride a horse home in this snowstorm that's outside, <laughs> right? I don't have to, you know, have buffalo skins all over me, right? Because it's winter, right? I don't have to go home and, you know, make sure that I chopped enough firewood two two months ago, right? To to last the winter. I'm able to go home with an, an amazing set of comforts that was, wasn't even experienced by Kings a couple hundred years ago. And when I take that view of life, right, it puts me in this state of gratitude where, man, I go home, I have a great conversation with my wife. I get to see my kids happy. What else really? Right. I think if we find, you know, the, the joy and the fulfillment in those type of moments and don't necessarily require as contingencies of life aligning a certain way in order for us to, to be and feel and experience a certain way, what it actually does is it gets the things that we really want, those goals, those achievements, those ambitions, it gets them actually quicker right? Because you're not attached to the specific thing that's going to make you feel a certain way, right? You're able to actually experience that right now. And there's so much of that around. I'll use Eddie, my brother-in-law again. I'm like, dude, like you have two kids and you're an amazing dad. You can see it. How many people out there, you know, don't have kids, but they want them, don't have a wife and they want them or a husband, Look at what you, it's an amazing life that you get to live. Yeah. There's some things that, you know, you have challenges here or whatever, but just once you're able to focus on what's there, right. As opposed to what's not there, your life starts to, to change. And, and I, it took me a while to really understand that. And I would be lying to say that I'm a hundred percent that way, but I, I'm able to catch myself, right. When I have those moments where I'm triggered and gets, and, I, and I'm able to snap myself back into you know, a perspective that, you know, I have an amazingly blessed life. I mean, I get, I know Gary Pinkerton. Holy crap. Like, not that many people better, know me. Please tell me. <laughs> but I say that not as in jest. I say that, you know, I, I feel honored to know, to know you and have a friendship with you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Me too. I, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I said this a couple episodes ago, but it's just so amazing to me uh, that life could be this simple where it's, it comes down to positive, you know, I, like I've had this goal to be in a mindset of abundance. And it came initially, I mean, I heard people talk about this for years. And I've seen people who are kind of Pollyannish about life, right? And that's not what this is about. But then I read Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, and he made this comment that I was like, it just can't be that simple. It was also in the master key system from like 100 years ago. Um, but essentially, you can only hold one, you can only truly hold one thought in your mind at once. And so then I tie that to Dr. Frankel's book, because when I read his, I've read it three or four times. And I remember the first couple of times, I'm like, well, that's definitely easier said than done. <laughs> like, you know, especially in the middle of a concentration camp, how do you just choose today? I'm going to choose differently, right? That's hard. And how do you get to that? And I think there's some positive brainwashing going on. Like you just have to keep thinking. First of all, you have to recognize that for most of us, it's true. You can only think one thing, you know? And so if you're about to you know, flip somebody off and say something nasty to them. But if you force yourself to think about something positive about what they're wearing or whatever, it's hard to do that. And so I think if you can understand kind of the limitations of the machine we're operating here, it's very helpful to just train yourself. And like you said, you know, you've practiced this a lot and, you know, and it's become kind of a habit. And that habit is 
recognizing the trigger, recognizing that it's coming and shifting out of it, right? And I think recognizing is the recognizing that it's possible, that it's a very simple thing to do, that it takes consistency, and then kind of building enough habits so you recognize when it's coming on. I think those are big keys. And it has been hugely um, successful for me. And I learned most of this from you and, and from my good friend, Aaron Chapman and many others, but it's made a big difference. Well, you know, part of that Frankel quote, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? I think part of that Frankel quote is, you know, the beginning part is between stimulus and response, right? There's very little we can do to control stimulus, right? Stuff's just going to happen, right? But it's in the yeah. space, right? It's in the space between stimulus and response. And it's, and it's trying to shorten that where your response is, is conditioned, you know, and, and I, the type of person that operates in that, in that zone, you can tell yeah. there's so many, there's so many people that I've been fortunate to not just learn from directly, but indirectly, right? Whether it's through their books or video or, or going to seminars where they, they, dem- they demonstrate that. And, and it, gives you, it gives you confidence that you are able to do that as well. But the type of person that shows up that way, right? It's, there's this, I don't know, there's a feeling about them. There's a sense about them, right? That I think leads to lots of success, Right. Mm. You know, I, I think from a business perspective, right. From an investment and money-making perspective, you know, the, there's a common factor that is evident, apparent in all it, which is uh, relationships, right. The relationship between one person to many, one person to another person. Right. And it's the ability to show up in a, in a certain way. And that I think leads to lots of opportunities. But if you show up right in a certain way, the net zero or net negative way, right, you're you're going to, you're not going to have many opportunities. And it's not just an investment in, in and in business, but it's in relationships, right? It's the way you are as a parent. It's the way you are as a neighbor. Uh, and so I try to pay attention to that. How am I showing up? Right? Where is my mindset? Where is my mentality? Because the way in which I show up, I've connected to the opportunities I'll have throughout life, as well as the growth of my experience and fulfillment and happiness. So I think that as you as you do it, you start to show up as a different person. Uh, a per, you know, and it's not a different person. You do, you show up at with a different part of your personality, different right? Energy. Personality, yeah. And that's where I think there's there's so much magic in that if you can strategically figure that out. And I think that's, it, it leads to so it leads us so much in life. You know, I, I'm fascinated by that, that moment that the between in Victor Frankl's quote about the time between stimulus and response. Right. Um, and uh, I was smiling earlier when you were talking about that, because my, my youngest uh, 16 now, he used to have this phrase, I don't hear it too much anymore, but it was awesome. Like he would do something really stupid or he would totally make a mess or something. And he would say, he would just say, oh, that just happened. You know, you know, like he's not mad. He's not, he's like, well, that just happened. So I used to think it was so funny. And I've been pushing my kids, my boys, and I know this is crazy, but it's, it's a little out there, but I always say, try to take responsibility for everything that happens in your life. Like just own everything that happens in your life. Well, we started this. My oldest was like, okay, dad, how is that one my fault? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and so I have found like we all need this little trick to get between stimulus and response without responding. You know, you need a pause. Somehow you need to get, convince yourself or train yourself to pause 
and not just do the reaction, but rather do a measured response. And so now I've trained myself to say, okay, how was that one my fault? You just figure it out. Like I actually asked myself that question, not be sarcastic, but like, okay, so how did I cause that? And it causes me to just pause. And I don't cut people off or flip people off, you know, <laughs> like I will fully admit I used to do. It makes a difference. And it's, it's a really good point. Well, there's so many different scenarios where that example is, is evident, uh, but you hit on something that I, you know, I, I've learned this year specifically because the, you know, this year we, we, everybody has spent a great deal of time with their family. Uh, and it, you know, my kids, I've just come to have so much respect and admiration for my kids, right? Because their life is completely shut down, right? There's an, the, the unintended consequence of everything that's going on is that, you know, you can look at the lives of kids being impacted the most, right? If you think about it, mm-hmm. uh, and I won't get into to details there, but what I've noticed in my kids, kids is just an incredible resiliency, an incredible way in which they look at life. And I don't know if I did it. I think they're way more mature than I was at their, uh, at their age, but it's just, a, it's allowed me to kind of understand one of those paradoxes of life where, you know, children, you know, children are the ones that in a lot of ways are much smarter than adults, you know, from an emotional level, if you really think about it. But, you know, in the end, well, children and dogs, I mean, dogs are, you know, there's lots to learn from dogs as well. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things, Gary, where I'm grateful that we get to talk about this because I get to learn based on, my, you know, me speaking and, and you know, voicing mm-hmm. things that are inside my head and inside, inside me, uh, but also to do with others that, you know, have a, have a similar open mind to, how things are and, and discovering better ways, even better ways to, to enjoy, to enjoy life despite, despite the circumstances. And again, you could focus, I mean, you have, you know, stimulus and money printing and the federal reserve, and you have the, the president and you have these like hint of socialism that's happening in politics. And you have, you know, this person saying this and that person saying that, and you have this, you know, evil conspiracy to take down the, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of that stuff is out there and there's probably truth to a lot of, of a lot of things. At the same time, you know, I think a key, a key to life is to just really pay attention to, you know, what you focus on and then correlate that to the amount of control that you have and influence that you have. And once you realize that there's not much you can do, then I think you're able to skip over that and start to focus on yourself and ways in which you can you know, look at life from a, a new perspective, because that's what's going to lead to, to happiness. I think the other, the other way of doing it, it's again, it's net negative or net zero where there's really nothing to gain. Right. But I think yeah. if you look at the world around us and how we live in an incredibly abundant times, okay, there is so much to be grateful for, right? There's so much going on that doesn't make the news headlines that if we look for it, right? We'll be inspired. You know, Peter Diamandis is someone that I follow all the time because, you know, he, he was the first person that snapped me out of all the crap that was going on in 2008, 2009, 2010, where it felt like the world was falling apart. But yet his book Abundance opened mm-hmm. my eyes to just how much innovation, how much growth, how many people were being saved, how the lifespan of people in other parts of the world were being extended there's so much positive things going on that don't make the headlines that if we were to just kind of like step back and maybe put a little bit more effort into researching, 
we could see just, holy cow, the world is transforming in a positive way. And if we focused our attention there, it would, I don't know, just allow for a much better, just momentary experience. But I think overall it'll be conditioned so that we're not as susceptible to, you know, the anger, the hate, the divisiveness that is super easy to find if you just turn on the TV. Yeah. Peter's book would be a great one to have at the bedside and, and read five pages of or 10 pages of before you go to bed, you know, just because it is a really inspiring book. Absolutely. And I think kind of ending on that, you know, looking for the positive, um, keeping yourself in an abundant mindset, obviously has been a theme of tonight. One of the very easy places to do that, I think, is just to think about the positive aspects of what's different about our lives now. You know, we talked about how the, how our children's Live, you know, I mean, that's like your worst nightmare, especially for teenagers to be stuck with your parents and not around your friends and unable to play sports. I mean, think about the lot they got in life, but think about the lot we got in life. Like I have been trying for years ever since, I mean, while I was in the military, it was really not reasonable. And then ever since then, I've always come up, you know, I've always wanted to have family dinners, you know, at least on the weekends. And like I succeeded with a Saturday night, but I have to take my family out to eat somewhere just to pull that off, right? But COVID-19, I mean, starting in March of 2020, we've had dinner together during weeknights, almost every night of the week. And the conversations, because our kids are sitting around us, right, with not a lot to do, very amazing intellectual conversations. You know, throw an election year in the middle of it and some really good conversations about the Constitution and the Republic and what it means and why this is important, why that person would say that. I mean, take those opportunities. It's amazing. I never, I thought... I'd written it off, frankly. I had written it off that I was going to have weekend nights with my kids or any, you know, evenings. I just said, you know what? I wasn't that kind of parent, <laughs> but I love it. So however you can reflect on your current time and see the advantages that are there, and then I think it'll keep you in the right mindset. And that's how you move forward. I agree. And, you know, I, I think the, a good ending point is, you know, life is is happening for you, right? It's it's giving you the opportunity that despite the circumstances, right, you can experience an amazing life uh, right now. Now, it doesn't mean that there shouldn't be proper discipline. There shouldn't be systems. There shouldn't be, you know, pursuit of a career. There shouldn't be, I mean, there's, there's some foundational elements, right, to, to life that just makes the experience easier. You hit on some things earlier where you can create a foundation, right, from a, a structured tools standpoint at the same time, that doesn't guarantee a meaningful life. At the same time, it could help to amplify or accelerate you experiencing life at a different at a different level. So I don't know, I think it's cart before the horse, right? Where it's in, and I'm not saying that a cart is always behind or it could be sometimes in the in in front. You know, I don't know. But I look at in the end is, you know, just because you have a lot of money, just because you have protection and safety and certainty does not guarantee you a meaningful life. In fact, if that's where 100% of your focus is, chances are you're going to lose the things that are meaningful to you in the process of accumulating that side of it. Yeah. Love of money. Seen, I mean, I, I remember I had, I think it was over a uh, half a dozen clients get divorced within a couple months of one another. This was several years ago. It was humbling, right? Because of the like very emotional conversations. And, and most of them were I did everything for them. Everything I was doing, the seminars I went to, the the videos, the, the education I got, and you know, putting money away and investing, it was all it was all for them. But along the way, <laughs> right, that wasn't necessarily the the message that was you know the nonverbal message that was being sent. 
right? So anyway, it's one of those like, you know, you got to have a good mix of life all along the way. That's why I just don't like, you know, the, the typical retirement planning, financial planning, right? Is all, all geared toward this someday, someday in the future, right? All the sacrifice, all the time, all the missed dinners, it'll all be worth it. And that's just not true in my experience. Now, you can challenge me on that. I, I'm totally grateful for you to do that. At the same time, you know, just the experiences that we have, right, with ourselves as well as clients, it just affords us some lessons, right, some principles. And I think one of those is the mix of life starting right now, not sacrificing the different elements of life so that you can enjoy all of them one day. I agree with you, man. I used to think that for sure, putting stuff off, you know, and, and you see evidence of that not going well. The, you know, the only people driving the really expensive cars are the, the 60 year olds who can't enjoy them or 70 year olds, right? And I now believe that you can have everything in life you want to steal from Zig Ziglar. You just help enough other people get what they want and you make people around you happy and your happiness comes from that. And I would personally start with your spouse and your kids. Your kids. Like I made it a focus at one point for myself to all my only purpose in life was that my wife would be happy, whatever that meant. And oh my gosh, you know what happened? I was happy, super happy. The silly little bumper sticker that's on the fridge that mom's not happy, no one's happy. That stuff's totally true, but it's true for anybody in your relationship. You know, if you derive your happiness from seeing happiness come in others, man, you're on a really, really successful path. Patrick, this has been amazing, man. I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. I love having these conversations, especially with you. So thank you for the opportunity. On Veterans Day, my friend. I know. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this Wednesday, November 11th. So, Gary, it's been an um, awesome day. I've had so many service. dear friends. I appreciate so you. many dear friends have, have reached out today. That's been very cool. You know, it's like a who's who of people that I truly care for and got to spend an hour with one of them. So, thank you, my friend. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Gary. Cool. Well, everybody, have a great night and we'll see you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh,